Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, this day of rest and worship and fellowship. As we fellowship with one another, Lord, help us to grow closer in our fellowship with you. Uh, Guide us in this Sunday school period, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, we're picking up with chapter 28 of the Confession, which is of baptism. And so the first thing that we want to recognize is the word baptism is a word that comes to us without any definition in Scripture. Uh, the, the word itself is baptizo. Uh, and if there's more than one baptism, you might see it as baptizoi. Um, so, when we encounter the word in the New Testament, we just encounter the word. Uh, it's It's... Like the word sacrament, except the word sacrament is not in the New Testament. It's a word that comes to us from outside the scriptures. So you don't find the Hebrew equivalent of the word baptism in the Old Testament. Uh, there, there's no mention of baptism at all in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we just start right out with John the Baptist. <laughs> And so we we just start out with this word, and so we need to understand what the word means by two things. First is, by looking at the cultural context in which the New Testament is written. Was this a word that was commonly used outside of the pages of the New Testament. Are there other cultures that use baptism? Uh, and so what can we learn from those other cultures? And then, most importantly, what do we learn about the meaning of the word itself from the New Testament? So both, what can we learn by how other people were practicing this? And what do we learn, most importantly, by how the scripture uses the word? Now, there are a number of churches which hold the position that this Greek word, baptizo, means immerse. That that's the meaning of the word baptizo. Now, the problem with that is that, as I hope we will see... The New Testament, it's impossible for the word to only mean immerse. It's not possible for that word to to mean immerse. And so historically, or when when I say historically, like through the early 1900s, that was a pretty big argument uh, in favor of baptism by immersion, is that the Greek word means to immerse. 
And so I don't know if any of you have ever heard that before, that baptizo means immerse, but that was a, that was a pretty big point for a long time among those who were convinced of baptism by immersion is that it's right there in the very meaning of the word. So just a couple of examples, hopefully to move that off our plate. Can someone read for me Mark chapter 7? And verses 1 through 4. And then while someone's looking at Mark chapter 7, can someone else read for me 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2? So Mark chapter 7, 1 to 4, who's got it? Okay, so that word there, and if you've, if you've got a Greek New Testament, you can, or if you've got it on your phone, you can double check me, make sure what I'm saying is accurate, uh, but if you don't, just trust me, it's true. <laughs> the word that is translated wash throughout Mark chapter 7 is the word baptizo. So, first off, do you think that every time the Pharisees are coming back from the market, they're immersing their couches? No. I think we can all kind of give a resounding no on that one. This does not make sense that every time the Pharisees return from the market, they pick up their dining couch and immerse it in water. That would ruin your couch. Rather, it seems to be some sort of ceremonial washing. And it's a ceremonial washing that is not immersion. No, no, no. I'm totally agreeing with you. Baptism is a symbol of washing your sins. The only point that I'm trying to make is that the word baptizo does not mean immerse. That's the that's the point. But immerse is not what it means. <laughs> because if if baptizo means immerse, then the Pharisees must be immersing their couches. No. These are, he's trying to argue that it only, it can't only mean immersed. Right. 
So let me let me just go to this. Yeah. So someone read for me First Corinthians chapter ten, verses one and two. So our fathers are baptized in the cloud and sea. So who was immersed? The Egyptians were immersed. Not the, not the Israelites. The Israelites crossed on dry land. And that dry land... Paul says, is baptism. They're baptized into Moses in a completely dry ceremony. So that pulls us back, and and this is the only point I'm trying to make here, that pulls us back from the idea that baptism means to immerse. Only to immerse. It can mean to immerse, but that is not the only or even the primary definition of the word. The primary definition of the word we need to get from how the scriptures use it. So first off, well, I said both how scripture uses it and also how the context, the the cultural context. This is a word that is not defined for us in the New Testament. It just pops up. The first time that we encounter the word baptism, it's John the Baptist, and he's baptizing. Uh, for uh, repentance uh, of, of sin. And so he comes preaching a baptism of repentance. So we start to look at these other communities that would have used that word, that would have understood that word. And there's a lot. Uh, the, the Hindu uh, community, if you're familiar with the Ganges, uh, they, they wash themselves ritually in the Ganges, and does anybody know what that is a sign of? Washing yourself in a holy river. It's a sign of holiness, of cleansing. Uh, it just so happens the Ganges, I think, is one of the most polluted rivers in the world today because of all the people that are constantly washing in it, and I think also because of the dead bodies that are being uh, given to the Ganges to, to be in perpetual holiness or whatever. But uh, the, the washing in the Ganges is a sign of ritual cleansing. Uh, now, this is after the New Testament, but uh, Islam, Muslims, have a very uh, prescribed ritual of washing uh, when, before they enter into a mosque. Uh, there's always a little... A little spigot outside the mosque, you take off your shoes, you wash your face, you're especially supposed to uh, wash your nostrils and blow the water out because, uh, anyway, the, the different reasons for that. Uh, but, but the point is, it's always a ritual washing. Hindus were doing this long before the time of the New Testament. The Persian community uh, participated in ritual washing. The Greeks had ritual washing. The Romans had ritual washing and the Essene community. So the closest we get to scripture or scriptural practice outside the the Bible itself 
is this group of people that in the around 100 years before Christ, uh, they, they saw the Roman occupation of Israel as a sign of God's judgment, and so they withdrew from Israel and built their own, it was sort of a monastic community. Uh, they went into the, into the mountains there around the Dead Sea. Uh, so if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, that comes out of the Essene uh, community. And in order to become a member of the Essene community, you had to be baptized. And the way that they baptized was by sprinkling, sprinkling with water. So the point is, from all of our outside the Bible cultures, baptism means cleansing, washing. Now, whether that washing is by immersion, whether that washing is by pouring water, whether that washing is by sprinkling water, there, there are different, different practices. There are different communities that practice in a different way. My, my only point that I want to drive home here is the word itself does not mean to immerse. The word means to wash and to wash clean. Uh, so it's a, that, that's the meaning of the word, just dictionary meaning. In the New Testament, Whenever we see, so can someone read for me uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, skip down to verses 32, or 33 and 34. So, the mode in which the Holy Spirit is identified with the people, with the New Testament Christians, what mode is referenced there? Pouring. So, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people. The people are not immersed, but the Holy Spirit, rather, is poured out on them. And I'm not going to have you look up every single one of them, uh, because I don't want to spend that much time, but I'll just go ahead and give you the references. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 15. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. And Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Old Testament and New Testament. Every time that the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit coming, it's in one of two ways. Either the Holy Spirit is poured, or the Holy Spirit is sprinkled. Those are the two terms that are used in relationship to the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people either pouring out of the Holy Spirit or the sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul uses this language when he speaks about baptism saving from a guilty conscience by the sprinkling of, of the conscience. Uh, so by the washing of the conscience, Paul uses the language of sprinkling there. And so in every case where we see the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people, we see the connection to baptism, and we see the mode either being pouring or sprinkling. The Holy Spirit is, is, is pictured in the New Testament as the wind more than any of those other things. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes, yes, uh, in, in the same way that the wind, uh, you cannot tell where the wind comes or goes. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, all, all that all that I would agree with. I'm simply trying to make the point that when we see the action in the New Testament with regards to the Holy Spirit, it's either pouring or sprinkling. So, so the point that I'm trying to get at here is that when we look at the word baptism, uh, we need to understand that we're going to need to define the word by and, and the mode, what it is that we're doing in baptism. We need to define it by how the scriptures describe it. Because the scriptures don't ever define it for us. Uh, they, they simply give us a Greek word, baptizo. It's a word that's been in common usage already, the Greeks, the Romans... The Essene community, uh, it, it's, everybody seems to already know what baptism is by the time that we encounter it in the scriptures. And so us coming in, not living in the first century, we need to go, how are we going to define this? We need to define it by how the scripture uses it. And what the scripture speaks, what, what the scripture points us to is that baptism is in some way a sign of the Holy Spirit. It's a washing. It's identified with the Holy Spirit. And it is typically through either sprinkling or pouring. Now, the question of identity. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, which we read earlier. What is Paul's point? Why is Paul bringing up baptism? What, what's his point there in those first two verses? Why would he say our fathers were baptized into Moses and into the cloud? 
in, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Why, why would he say that? What's his point in saying that? Exactly. This is your identity. Our fathers were identified in this transition, in this walking over on dead land or dry land. They're being identified with Moses. They're being identified as the people of God. If you want to look for the baptism of the Israelites, that's the moment. They are identified with God. Now, one of the, one of the Baptist, uh, passages, the, the, the passage that, uh, Baptists often look to, to push for immersion is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So can someone read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4? So, this is a passage that is often brought up by those who believe in baptism by immersion. And they will say, look, it's very clear here in Romans chapter 6, you're buried with him in baptism and raised up to new life. And so, baptism is a sign of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So that's, that's a common, if, if you come from a Baptist background, you'll recognize that. That's a common understanding of Romans chapter 6. Now, what we need to do is we need to pull all of Scripture, not just land on one, on one portion. Uh, and, and we all need to do this, not just Presbyterians, but, but everybody needs to be doing this. Uh, pull in all of Scripture to help us understand. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, baptism speaks to what issue? Identity. In Mark chapter 7, baptism refers to what? Ceremonial, particularly, ceremonial cleansing. So in Romans chapter 6, do you see how these two basic definitions of the word baptism is what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6 is where he goes on, he, he, he develops this thought later to say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer there in it? Romans chapter 6 begins with Paul saying what about you and baptism? 
You're identified with new life in Christ through this ceremonial cleansing. So in Romans chapter 6, we're speaking to our identity in Christ, and he's referring us back to our baptism. That in baptism, I died together with Christ. I was raised together with Christ. And I am raised not to live my own life. I am raised to live Christ's life in me. Uh, it is not, it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. That is to be my focus. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, uh, anyway, I just dropped the verse. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, crucified with Christ, I'm identified with that, buried with him. Uh, my baptism identifies me with that, raised with him to walk in newness of life. This identity that baptism is not only is consistent with the New Testament script, uh, with the New Testament usage of the word, but also with the usage from the cultures around the New Testament day that practiced baptism. Baptism is identity. Baptism is cleansing. Those are the uses that the scriptures give us regarding baptism. And I think if we can all agree with that, then we can start giving each other a lot of charity <laughs> regarding mode and, and other things. If we can agree whether we believe in immersion, whether we believe in pouring, whether we believe in sprinkling, we'll get into this in the next few weeks, whether it belongs properly to covenant children or whether it is only to individuals who make a profession of faith uh, and, and owning their own faith. All of these debates over how and when, I think, can become subordinate. Uh, they, they can become things that we don't have to throw rocks at each other over if we can agree on these primary characteristics that baptism represents identity and baptism represents cleansing. Right, so John the Baptist in his baptism, and that's, that's a great question because that becomes a problem for the, for the disciples later on. Uh, when, when the apostles meet people who are believers in the book of Acts and they say, did you receive baptism according to Jesus Christ's baptism or according to John the Baptist? Right. And yeah, so another another great question is why was Jesus baptized? Uh well and and so if baptism is simply a mark of a public profession, then Jesus baptism doesn't fit in that category. It does fit and and there have been scads of books written on this. This is a, it's a very, uh, a, a very uh, difficult uh, theological question. Why was Jesus baptized? Because he didn't need to be cleansed. 
Jesus was clean. Uh, and so is the baptism of Jesus Christ an identification uh, with Israel? Is he, is he being identified in that? <clears throat> or is there some sense in which Jesus Christ, this, uh, some, I believe, I believe John Knox was the one who said that this is an inauguration, that we go back to the way that kings, uh, Israelite kings were inaugurated and the priest would sprinkle them. And so this is, uh, an identification of Christ with kingship. Others will say this is an identification with, of Christ with sinners. Uh, he's saying, I am identifying with you. And this, this cleansing that you need, I'm symbolizing here. Uh, so, so there's a fair amount of, you know, people, Right. So he's clearly identifying as God there because you've got the Trinity. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove and Jesus Christ uh, coming up out of the water. <clears throat> and and so, yeah, all, that, that whole event. But to, to circle back around to, to your question. So what is John the Baptist doing? Well, one of the things that he continually hammers the people on is their sin. And so he's taking these circumcised people, the Pharisees, these are leaders in Israel, these are, these are church leaders, and he's telling them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Uh, and so the, the, these Israelites are yet unclean. And, and the circumcision that they're looking to for the grounds of their standing before God, John the Baptist says, that's useless, that's not the point. Uh, you need to be cleansed from your sin, from your wickedness. And, and so it seems that the uh, baptism of John the Baptist, setting the baptism of Jesus Christ aside, the, the baptism of John the Baptist seems to be both identifying that I need cleaning, I need to be cleansed, and I'm publicly acknowledging good upstanding Christian, quote-unquote, you know, New Testament context and all that. But, but good upstanding follower of God. Uh, yet I am filthy. Yet I am dirty. I need more. The sacrificial system, the, uh, the, the rules that I'm following, all these are not enough. I need something more. And, and I think that's why it becomes controversial later when the New Testament believers only have G, uh, John the Baptist's baptism. Because John the Baptist's baptism is saying, I'm sinful, I need something more. My Israelite identity is not enough. I need to identify as a sinner, I need to identify as someone who needs cleansing. Well, Jesus Christ is the one that I should identify with. Uh, and so that's why they needed to go the step further. That's right. So, that, I don't understand how you make it so difficult. Because <laughs> everybody makes it difficult. That's why we get paid the big money and write the books. <laughs> I mean, he identifies, that, that's why he is so, see, God doesn't have time like we do. And, and so, in his mind, that was his job, was to identify 
Well, and if we can, if we can walk away from this entire 30 minutes, recognizing, <laughs> that's distracting, uh, <laughs> recognizing that baptism speaks primarily to identification and the cleansing, identification and cleansing, then I think we are all 90% of the way there to the right spot uh, regarding baptism. Later, ne- next time, we'll, we'll see exactly what it is that baptism uh, represents, and, and we'll get into chapter 28 on that. But that's the only thing that I wanted to drill down on today, is baptism can be immersion, it can be pouring, it can be sprinkling. There's nothing in the Word itself that, that speaks to how it's properly done. What we do see from Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Acts, I mean a whole slew of, of passages, is baptism points to identification and it points to cleansing. Uh, and that's what baptism is, is fundamentally about. So let me close. I realize I've gone over time. Uh, let me close with prayer, and then we'll go into our time of fellowship. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are identified with Jesus Christ, that we are clothed in his righteousness, and that he has taken our sin upon himself. He has crushed it on the cross. He has buried it uh, in the tomb, and that we are risen together with him. Help us, Lord, As we improve our baptism, as we look at our baptism, see what it calls us to be, and lean into being more like the one with whom we are identified, give us that strength and focus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.